This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show number 711. I feel like we're going to see opportunities we haven't seen in 10 years, right? When, if I could, my, when I look back at 2012, 2013, and 2014, my only regret is I didn't buy more. I didn't have the capability, right? My mom wrote my first, my first check as a syndicator, and then it took a long time to get everybody else to join in. Um, so I'm looking at this now as this is coming up, probably starting mid-2023, is going to be the time to scoop up deals that otherwise were unobtainable for the last five, six, seven years. And for those listening who the last three years have been frustrated because you can't get in the market because there's just no deals out there, the deals are coming. And then also, not to, not to be morbid, but you're going to have a lot less competition. Welcome, everybody, to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. My name is Matt Faircloth, and I am the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast. And I want to bring in my one of my besties, one of my friends, the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast today, not really the host, but you and I stole the microphone, didn't we, Andrew? We stole the mic and we are now running the Bigger Pockets podcast. Who knows what's going to come out of our mouths today, right? Yeah, you know, David uh, David went off to Mexico and left his link live and uh, you and I are going to jump in and see what, uh, see what we can do. Oh, what could go wrong? It's great. But well, quick, Andrew, tell me how you are today. I am good. I am staying positive and testing negative. <laughs> Can I steal that? You, yeah, give me credit the first time, and the rest of the time it's yours. Okay, cool. If we're gonna be if we're gonna be stealing the microphone, do you promise me you'll have lots of awesome Andrew Cushman analogies and cool straight faced humors and like David Green analogies as well? We can use throughout the show. You know, I'll do my best. Uh, I'm a little nervous filling in for for the Green, and, and I forgot to put on my tank top, so I'll channel him as best as I can. No way I'm filling those shoes, but I'm happy to hold his microphone for him just for a second here. Sounds like a good plan. They, uh, Andrew, before we get going. There is an awesome thing that happens at the beginning of every Bigger Pockets podcast. You and I know because you probably listen to 710 episodes of it, you and I both. So let us get going with the quick tip. Quick. I'm actually going to go rogue on you and give you two, right? Since I'm not Stop wearing the, my, my tank top, hey, I'll have to It's make our up microphone today, man. Give it. So, first of all, we're going to talk about, we're going to reference a, an article that Paul Moore wrote for Bigger Pockets on the blog. If you're listening and you haven't read that article, Go back to November 15th and read it. It's going to give a lot more background on what we're talking about and lots of other important stuff for today's market. Second of all, some of the stuff we're going to talk about might sound a bit gloomy, but that's really not the case. We are That's the farthest thing from the truth. We're going to talk about risks and what's how the markets are shifting and is this, our pricing's going, pricing going down. That's all stuff that should be exciting for you if you're getting started in 2023 or looking to scale your business. So now is the time to be greedy when others are fearful. So don't let what we're talking about scare you off. Use it to get excited about diving into all the resources that Bigger Pockets has so that you can learn and scale and grow your business. Double the tip. There it is. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate that, man. Let's get into the market, man. Let's talk about the current market status. What do you think? You want to go? Yeah, let's do it. There's lots to talk about. I'm in. Following you. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. 
So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. All right, Matt, welcome to 2023. Uh, we are in a rapidly changing market. Uh, it's funny, Paul Marr put out uh, a great article back in November uh, addressing some things that we're seeing now. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts uh, on what's going on out there? You know, I didn't get a chance to read the article yet. I, I know you and I are both what? friends with Paul Moore, and I've heard a lot of great things about the article. I've actually seen some people referencing it. So I tell, and yes, absolutely, things are changing. Uh, it seems like daily as well. So uh, what'd you get out of the article? Tell me about it. There's a lot in there. Uh, we could spend a whole hour on it, but I'd say the most important, if I were to condense it into one sentence, is that interest rates are higher than cap rates. And, you know, for those who are listening, it's like, okay, well, so what? That's a big problem. That that's And that's a huge problem. We haven't seen that in the last 10 years. I don't even, I don't, maybe even for multiple decades. The reason that's a problem is it creates negative leverage. So what it means is if you're buying, let's say a million dollar 10 unit property, and it produces a net operating income of $50,000 a year, right? So a 5%, that's a 5% cap rate, a 5% yield. And you go borrow money at 6% in order to do that, you are losing money by borrowing, by borrowing to obtain, obtain that asset. So let's, let's pretend you bought it all cash and you're getting a 5% yield and then let's pretend you, to make it simple, you get 100% financing instead at 6%. Your annual debt service is 60,000, but your yield is 50,000. You have a built-in operating loss just on your debt of $10,000 a year. So that means we got that, that, that's a problem. If, if interest rates are higher than cap rates, it, 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 it screws up the market big time. And just, you know, for the listeners who are like, well, hold on, slow down, Andrew, NOI, cap rates, you're tossing these terms around. Cap rate stands for capitalization rate. It is basically the unlevered yield on a property. So I mentioned buying it all cash. A cap rate is you buy a million dollar property, it produces a $50,000 net operating income, 50,000 divided by a million is 5%. The cap rate is 5%. Net operating income, it's basically kind of just what it sounds like. It's your gross revenue minus your operating expenses. And then that is what is left over to pay the debt. And so when that NOI is less than the debt, that creates a huge problem. So, you know, how does this resolve? A couple of things have to, you know, there's a handful of things that can resolve it. Number one, interest rates would have to go back down. Uh, they peaked a couple of months ago at four and a quarter, and then dropped 80 basis points. Who knows where they're going to go now? I, you know, my I left my crystal ball in my pocket, and it went through the wash, so it's permanently foggy. I'm not going to pretend that I can predict where interest rates are going to go. So interest rates could go back down. NOI could go up, right? If you can increase rent and increase that NOI, uh, then th then you can overcome to some degree the fact that the cost of debt is higher, or prices could come down. Done. My personal thought, Matt, is that it's going to be a combination of all three of those things, but I would like to toss it to you and see where you think we're headed here in 2023. I, you know, I, I also uh, put my crystal ball in the shop and I, and I can't seem to get it out. They, they won't give it back to me. So what the future uh, uh, will hold, I don't know. But I'll tell you what um, what investors like I can, can, like you and I can control. We can control NOI. We can control pushing revenue on property. So that's one factor that's in our favor. I will say that what I, okay, this like what I know is going to happen, I don't know. But what I think is probably something different, right? So what I think is going to happen 
happen is is something like you know rates have gone up drastically a lot more than a lot of people thought are they going to go up that at that rate of acceleration again i don't think so i think we maybe are getting towards the top of the ceiling i don't think they're going to come back down and so i think that if rates stay up like this andrew it's going to force cap rates to go up a little bit and so cap rates are going to come up Rates maybe creep down a little bit, but they're probably, it's still going to be in the five, six, seven range somewhere in there to borrow money, I think, for the foreseeable the foreseeable future. I just think that is what it is. So that's what I predict is going to happen. And I think that on both sides, the buyers and sellers and investors, because you and I both work a lot with investors on limited partner investors, are going to, all three are going to have to get more realistic. And everybody's going to have to take a deep breath and settle down and realize that this is no longer a seller puts a for sale sign on the front of their property and they get 10 bids. Uh, this is likely not going to be the future of what we're going into. I think that sellers are going to have to get realistic. Um, buyers are going to get a little more strength in their voice and what they're able to, what, what they can command uh, from a seller. And thirdly, Andrew, I think investors are going to learn to get more patient. Uh, I can tell you that that the, the scenario you gave on, uh, you know, cap rates and, their, and cap rate and uh, interest rates is all valid. But what the truth of the matter is, people likely don't buy a property either for and clear or 100% finance. What they do is they buy it with some sort of a equity check that gets left in there. And if they if cap rates are lower than interest rates, as you said, there's no money left in the property. And most importantly, there's no money left to go to the equity side, whether that's LP investors or folks writing a check out of their own pocket to go to the property. So the property is either not going to cash flow very much, talking like low single digit rates of return, either for investors or for the owner direct. Um, and that means that the equity is going to need to be a little more patient if you're buying a big value add property that is going to cash for a little bit in the beginning and then make more money in the long term. The, I, I believe the world of producing a six to seven percent, you know, guaranteed, aka preferred rate of return for investors right out of the gate when you buy a property may go away all completely or it may change drastically. Because if you're going to buy a property today, likely it's not going to produce any cash flow at all. If uh, if if a little bit, but certainly not enough to to pay a six or seven percent preferred return. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And this is this is affecting all these changes and shifts are affecting different market participants in different ways, right? So like sellers, you know that I that I talk to, or you know I mean you know, Matt, you and I are both in different multifamily masterminds, and we either know or have heard stories of sellers who. They're having trouble making the mortgage payments because they had an adjustable rate loan that has gone from three and a half to seven and a half. And yes, some people have caps on it, meaning it, it, it hits a certain level and they don't and doesn't go up anymore. But lots of others don't, and they have and they have watched their mortgage payments double or even two and a half, sometimes triple in the last six months, and that's creating financial stress for 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 sellers. Also, on the flip side, sellers who uh, don't have, uh, aren't having trouble paying the mortgage or have fixed rate debt, it's slowing volume down because they're just sitting back going, well, I'm not going to sell in this market. I want to get the price I got in January of 2022. And we're not, no one's offering me that. So I'm not going to sell my property. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like the kid in the, you know, the, the kid in the, in the, at the playground, who's just like, that's it. I'm taking my toys and I'm leaving. Right. They're just, they're, they're out of the game. They're going to sit there and wait. And they're, they're not motivated to sell because operations are still really good. And then that, that's another kind of weird aspect of this market is the distress out there. It's financial. It's not operations. Now, some some select subsectors in some markets could see operational dis distress going forward, especially if we get into a real recession with real job losses. But at the beginning of 2023, the distress is being caused by the financial markets, not operations. So that's in, in, as an investor evaluating potential acquisitions, that's a key thing to look into. Why is the property distressed? Is it because the market here is terrible or is it because the owner made a mistake, put the wrong kind of debt on there, and now they got to get out of this? And it's an opportunity for you as a new investor to get started by picking up a killer property in a killer location that otherwise would not have traded if the debt markets hadn't shifted. Um, so if you can't tell, uh, this stuff is getting me excited because I feel like we're going to see opportunities we haven't seen in 10 years. 
right? When if I could, my, when I look back at 2012, 2013, and 2014, my only regret is I didn't buy more. I didn't have the capability, right? My mom wrote my first my first check as a syndicator, and then it took a long time to get everybody else to join in. Um, so I'm looking at this now as this is coming up, probably starting mid 2023 is going to be the time to scoop up deals that otherwise were were unobtainable for the last five, six, seven years. And for those listening who the last three years have been frustrated because you can't get in the market because there's just no deals out there, the deals are coming. And then also, not to, not to be morbid, but you're going to have a lot less competition. Um, I already know of sponsors who are closing up shop because their deals have imploded and the equity is gone and they're out of the business. The beauty of starting out now is you don't have that baggage. You can come in at a fresh bottom and part, you know, low point in the cycle, take advantage of these opportunities, not have 27 people bidding against you and, 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 and build the foundation of a great business. Uh, the wealth is made in the downturns and five to seven years from now, anyone who accumulates properties in the next two or three years is probably going to be uh, uh, sitting pretty. Love it. It's a great time to get started. Uh, it, it's a great time to be a new investor in this market. And it's a great time to be established as well if you made the right decisions coming into this place. So, well, I mean, so so looking forward, Matt, I, I'm curious as to, as to what you're seeing this year. You know, to me, I think the Fed, they're going to at least pause, right? And I think just, just doing that will open up the, the market a little bit because right now we you know when the when the fed's raising rates 75 basis points every other month no one knows how to underwrite like you know what what, what what's my exit cap going to be what's my interest rate going to be so at least when it pauses everyone can kind of like take a breath and say okay what are the rules now what do i you know how do i underwrite i think that's going to loosen up the market uh two uh we already talked about there's gonna be motivated sellers people who can't make their mortgage payments uh unfortunately so yeah, you know, that's going to bring some some deals to the table. And by the way, those deals aren't going to go to the highest bidder. They're going to go to the to the buyer or the investor who can offer the most surety of close, right? So again, that's something else we're looking for is not not paying the highest price, but being the the most savvy buyer. That's what's going to get deals going forward. And that's another thing that's been really tough lately. Uh, you know, so we talked about competition's going to drop. There's going to be more motivated sellers because people can't make the payments. We're, we're unfortunately already seeing that. And then, you know, I my guess is going to be we will probably see pricing off anywhere from 15 to 30 percent from the peak. And I would call the peak maybe January of 2022. So uh, I'll give you a perfect example. We put in an offer on a property this week that when we first started talking to the seller at the beginning of 2022, they wanted 220 a unit. And at the beginning of 2023, we're now talking 165 a unit. The property is still running really well and it's in a great market, right? However, the, pr the pricing expectations have come down and could they come down a little bit more? Yes, they could. Can any of us perfectly time the bottom? No, we can't. So the key is to go go buy properties that are in great locations and cash flow well so that five to seven years from now we look like stinking geniuses. Um, so that's kind of my thought and my plan for 2023. Matt, uh, do you disagree or would you, what would you, what would you add to that? Well, I'm not sure if I want to look like a stinking genius, you know, I mean, that, maybe that's a just regular not, genius. Yeah. Just a regular, I, I, I would, can I be a good smelling genius? You can be the stinking genius. Is that okay? Right, You're well, a genius. All right, fine. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so I, I agree. I don't know if I agree with the 30%. Uh, and, and that's only because I think that a lot of properties out there that are legacy holds that have been out there forever, a lot of multifamily has been held for generations by people. So I don't, th I think that those that bought properties in the last, say, three to five years are going to be in a position they need to sell because of gra debt that's graduating or debt that's gone up or because they just can't, you know, refinance anymore or whatever it may be. But I don't think that it's going to be blood in the streets like it was in 2020 and in, in, you know, uh, 2007, 2008. Um, I don't correlate the two things. I think what you're going to have is you're going to have, uh, sellers are going to need to get more realistic with their numbers. And I think that for the lot, for the longest time, Andrew, there's been this seller's market. That's it. And when you go to buy a multifamily property, 
you got to like, you know, it's like you're going to prom, you know, you got to get your best suit on, you got to put, do your hair and everything. You got to be, you got to wave your hands in the air to get the attention and everything like that from the, and, and it's you and 17 of your best friends bidding on a multifamily property, right? I don't think, I, some buyers may get a little skittish and go away, but I, I think that the buyer, the buyer conversation between buyer and seller is going to become more give and take. We're looking at a property right now, believe it or not, we're actually looking to buy a multifamily property right now, Andrew. We're looking at a deal and for the first time that I've ever seen it in the last five years anyway, there's no concept called money hard day one. I'll explain what oh, that is. Beautiful thing. But it's going away. It is. It's going away because that, that never should have been a thing. Right. Um, and, and that's, that is, again, you had said before, you get two things in real estate when you're making an offer, you get price or you get terms, uh, money, hard day one is a term, um, that, that, that gets negotiated in the purchase of real estate. What it means is if I'm buying a property and it's a million dollar, 10 unit multifamily property or something like that, I may lay down you know, say 50K is my earnest money deposit. Uh, and if they're going to go get a mortgage or beyond that or whatever, so I'm going to have to bring more to closing. But that earnest money deposit is something that goes along with the contract that shows I'm serious and I and here's my money. Um, and if I do something wrong that's outside of this contract, the seller may have the right under certain terms to claim that money, likely through a court action, but they but they you know may have the right to claim that money. Money hard day, and, and this happens in small real estate transactions and you know buying a three bedroom, two bath, you might write a check for $5,000 as your earnest money deposit or something like that. You know, bigger multifamily properties have bigger numbers that go for earnest money deposit. What what money hard day one means is that a certain percent of that money, and sometimes in in more aggressive markets, all of it is non-refundable the day you sign the contract. Here's the problem with that, Andrew. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. And that's why there's a concept called due diligence. When I buy, like Andrew's got a 10-unit apartment building or a 30-unit or a 300-unit for sale, the buyer needs to have time to get their head around this thing to make sure that what I'm buying is what the seller told me it is. Meaning like seller says, yep, my roofs are in good shape. There are, all my sewer lines are in good shape. All my tenants are paying their rent and there's only this much vacancy or whatever it is. All the factors that the seller states, the buyer should have a period of time to go and validate those things. It's called due diligence and it, you, the buyer should have the right to confirm. What money hard day one means is that say it's a $50,000 a $50, deposit, 10K of that or more is, oh, you found that my sewer lines were crushed or that my roof was leaking or that my vacancies were higher than I said it was. So sorry, I need to, I get to keep that money hard, right? Um, and it was there in more aggressive buyer markets to, uh, to hold the seller, to hold the buyer, I'm sorry, more aggressive seller markets to hold that seller to, that seller and buyer to closing and to make the transaction happen. But as we're normaling out the playing field, it was never a fair thing to begin with. Do you agree, Andrew? It never should have been in the contract to begin with, but it's just been the way the it's been the way the game was played. So we had to do it begrudgingly. But now I believe it's going to go away. Personally, it's starting to. And you know, for everybody listening, uh, you know, rejoice uh, that the risk of hard money should uh, hopefully uh, not be something that you have to worry about anymore. And you know. I, I love what, all of what you said, Matt. And you know, something else I would add for those who are starting to evaluate properties, uh, and, and this is again not something we had to worry about as much in the previous ten years. But look at your debt service coverage ratio. And Matt, this is this. I'm going to push back on you just a little because I think this, unless rates change dramatically. Uh, I think this is one of the things that's going to lead to probably a temporary decline in prices. Is that when when the rate on the co the cost of debt goes from let's say three and a half to six or six and a half percent, the income coming off that property is no longer there to make the mortgage payment, and so the lender is going to say, well, at three percent, at three and a half percent, I could have given you a million dollar loan. But at six and a half percent, I can only give you five hundred fifty thousand. Sorry, here's what it is. And so then, as a buyer, you go to the seller, and say, "Well, look, my lender's only going to give me five hundred fifty. I'm only going to offer you seven hundred instead of a million. So I think that is going to be a piece of what's going to lead to some decline in select properties in markets. Again, people who have had generational properties with low leverage, they're, just, they're not going to accept that. They're just going to hold on. But there's going to be some motivated people that have to sell. And, and speaking of general generational properties, Matt, 
I want everyone, everyone listening, keep in mind, this is a long game. Uh, you know, it's been a really, really popular business model, especially with syndicators for the last five years to do the whole two to three year, buy it, do a quick fix up, flip it out and sell it in, in a short period of time, two to three years. That business model isn't on dead, isn't dead, but I'd say it's going into hibernation for the short term. That is not going to be anywhere near as easy as it was in, in a rapidly rising market. When we're looking at properties now, we're looking at five, seven, ten-year hold times. And all I would add on top of that, if you're buying for your own portfolio and you're going to hold for 15 or 20 years, what's happening today, you're not even going to remember it when you get 15 to 20 years down the road. That property is going to be worth a whole lot more than it is today, and you're going to be glad that you bought it especially if you buy the right property in the right location, like good demographics, some of the things we've talked about in, in, in previous um, uh, previous episodes. And then, Matt, just to clarify, you're talking about hard money. That You're referring to the non-refundable deposits, right? So the minute you put that into escrow, even if you find out that the seller was lying to you, the roof's bad and half the place is vacant, they get to keep your keep your deposit, right? They can try to, yeah. Um, and, and remember, it's a court action. that they don't. The money does, actually, the check actually doesn't get written to them. It goes to a third-party escrow, and that escrow company uh, can't release it without both parties' permissions. Um, and if both parties don't get permission, then it's got to go through court action. So it's, it's not as simple as it sounds. But yes, in the contract, it will say that that money becomes the property of the seller if if for any reason the the buyer decides that they don't want to do the deal um, and that. But just, I, I think that that things sway back towards the middle. And, and uh, I think that that's what I believe the pendulum is going to swing towards. And, and you're right about properties being debt yield restricted, um, where, you know, you used to be able to borrow 80% loan to value from multifamily. You did even 75, 80% loan to value if you wanted to. Now the best you're going to get because rates are higher is 55, 60, 65% uh, loan to value. That means you got to raise more equity. Um, and that means that uh, to, to go into your deal, or and that means you can borrow less, which is, Maybe a little conservative way to look at it, but if your equity investors are looking for a six or seven percent rate of return on a deal that's selling at a four and a half percent capitalization rate, guess what? You can't give them that rate of return. It's just that the money, just the numbers aren't there to to pay a rate of return on properties. We've looked at deals that are producing like one to two percent cash on cash return yeah. uh, for us, and, and and me and the investors have to have to split that. Right, uh, we have to carve that up from there. Um, there's just not enough yield to pay investors a reasonable rate of return. So I think that that you know, as I said before, that everybody's get more guys got to get more reasonable buyers, sellers, and uh, and our investors. So all right, so so Matt, you're you know you mentioned you know you you mentioned you're you're out making offers, you're in the thick of it, you're not on the sidelines. What are you doing that the rest of us and that everybody listening can can duplicate or learn or learn from or or do to prepare to to either start or scale or start either start from scratch or start scaling in 2023? Well, the, the worst thing that somebody could do right now, Andrew, is sit on their hands and wait for things to change. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I have young kids as you do, and I read them the uh, Oh, the Places You'll Go sometimes. Uh, and that book talks about a place called The Waiting Place, um, where you're waiting on a phone to ring, waiting on a train to come, waiting on this, waiting on that. Life continues to pass you by if you wait. Uh, those that are that want to make things happen are going to get ahead of the curve and get out there and maintain relationships with brokers. So don't just wait for prices to drop before you start calling brokers. What you can do now is maintain, is, is to initiate, build, or even just maintain broker relationships. Call brokers up. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Jane. I'm looking to buy, and I'm waiting on waiting on uh, the right deal. And this is what I'm looking for. Whatever it is. Obviously, don't tell me you're waiting on the market to crash before you buy a deal. They're not going to want to hear that, you know. Um, but you can use the time now to build and deepen relationships with brokers and also with investors. Stay in communication with your investors. Your investors are going to forget about you if you don't communicate with them on a regular basis. Even if you don't have a deal, that's okay. Call them, check in, call them and wish them a happy holidays. Send them a holiday card, send them a newsletter as we do. Stay in regular communication with people so they know that you're there and that when a do and a good deal comes up from that broker that you've maintained or built relationship with, you've got an investor pool that's there to hop in. The last thing you want to do is to have to rebuild your business when the great deal that Andrew and I are talking about shows up in three or four months. You don't have to rebuild or restart your airplane engine to get it off the ground again. You want to be 
rip-roaring and ready to go with investors lined up, with debt that you've been maintaining relationship with and position, and with brokers that are willing to give you first look at those great deals when they show up. Yeah. And I mean, that that's a whole nother episode that we could spend diving into that. And you know, for everyone listening, I want to reiterate what Matt said about not sit around and waiting. Waiting and sitting on the fence does nothing for you but hurt your crotch. I mean, now is the time to streamline your systems, build your build your team, add investors. I mean, that's what that's what we are doing in our business. It's slow right now, so we're going back through. We're cleaning up simple things like cleaning up our file systems, so our team spends less time going. Wait, wait, where'd that where'd that document go? We're getting ready to hire uh, another person, add to the team. Like, wait, you're hiring in a downturn? Yes. Now is the time to find the best people and get them trained, so when the deals come, you're ready to jump on them, like Matt said. And we're we're still out there looking at a lot of deals. We're, we're and we're talking with new lenders. We're looking at new markets, and we're evaluating new well, not new, but creative or different ways to buy properties. Right, um, Burr is coming back. Right, when when I started this in 2012 or 2011, we'd buy properties all cash. We'd we'd get them running great, and then we'd refinance it and give investors 100% of their money back. The last five years, we're lucky to give investors 25% of their money back at refinance because we had to pay so much in the beginning. In this market, one way to eliminate interest rate risk is to go, you know, find a 10 unit for 500,000, raise 700,000, buy it all cash, fix it up, and then two or three years from now. When the debt markets are hopefully improved, refinance it, give your investors all their money back, and now you've got an asset that you can just sit there in cash flow with with basically no risk. Those kind of opportunities are coming back. We're also looking at um, seller financing. That's coming back. Assumptions are coming back. Uh, Longer-term holds. There's no such thing as a bad market, just bad strategies. So you know, think beyond the quick three-year, I'm going to buy this, fix it, and sell it. Look at alternate ways to buy, alternate ways to finance, and, and longer hold times, and that can make for great deals to be found. And that, that's, that, that's kind of a quick version of what we're doing in 2023. I love that. We're hiring too, um, and we are cautiously making bids on deals, and that, that makes sense to us. And I'm you know kind of having to straight face offer somebody 80% of what they're asking, and it is what it is. And, and you know I find the properties are still in the market. You know, there's one that the guy was asking 125000 a unit on, and he laughed at us when we offered him 115 and then they came back to us. They said, hey, is that 115 number still good? And we looked at it and guess what? Rates had gone up a little bit since then. So we're now talking to a manager at 105. And so uh, things are, th- there are still deals to be made. There are still conversations to be had um, in that. And one more thing that we're doing uh, on top of everything Andrew said, we're doing we're doing a lot of that as well. Um, and I love the, the Burr is back stuff. That's awesome. Uh, the one thing we're doing as well, and I know we're talking multifamily today, Andrew, but guess what? There are actually other real estate properties you can buy. They're, believe it or not, Andrew, not multifamily apartment buildings. And so we are, there are other kinds of real estate. Uh, so we're looking at diversification for us and our investors in other asset classes, um, such as flex industrial. Believe it or not, we're looking at hotels um, and not like, like you know, swanky, bougie, you, you know, uh, boutique hotels. I'm talking about like 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 a Courtyard Marriott, like I'm standing right now, those kinds of things. Um, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at uh, unanchored retail. Not that we want to leave multifamily. Multifamily is where my heart and soul is, but I also want to be able to offer things to our investors that make fiscal sense. And while I'm waiting a bit for multifamily um, to start making more fiscal sense. We're going to keep making bids, but we're also going to be looking at other asset classes to diversify a bit so that our investors can diversify so that we can diversify too. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and I see, see a, lot of, lot of, a lot of operators doing that. And especially if you can, you know, kind of dovetail you know, things together. Like a lot of times, self storage if right next to a multifamily there's there's a lot of of cross pollination there that that can work really well and we've actually uh, acquired apartment complexes that had some self storage on site and that's a whole nother revenue stream and so if you've got that self storage skill or tool in your tool belt and you can you, you know there's there's ways to to bring those two things together and like you said Matt diversify a bit Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just, and not that multifamily is not the core um, in that, but it doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be the everything. You might think you want real estate, 
But that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means. Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. All right, Matt. Well, that was a that was a fun market discussion. I always love diving into that, especially especially with you. Um, so I, you know, I want to throw out a couple of my my goals for 2023, and then I'd love to hear what yours are, and then uh, maybe we can uh, see if we can help out some listeners and, and and talk about some of theirs. So I know what I'm looking to do 2023 is hopefully make four to eight significant acquisitions and you know that's market dependent they have to be great deals but assuming the market shifts like like we talked about uh, we're looking to pick up hopefully four to eight we're also looking to add uh, a team member or two uh, because if we add that many deals we're gonna need more bandwidth to to do a good job asset managing them and then we're gonna ex- we're looking to actually expand markets uh, you know right now we're in Georgia and North Florida and whenever people ask me where do you invest I say Georgia North Florida and the Carolinas but we currently don't own anything in the Carolinas so we're gonna spend we've sold everything we had in Texas a couple of years ago we're gonna refocus that energy on the Carolinas and try to expand uh, into markets and, and put some of the principles that we talked about uh, in into uh, you know into play and execute on those. So uh, curious, Matt, uh, are you similar or what are you up to? Yeah, well, it, it just as you said, we're hiring. Uh, you know, want to hire two key folks this year. We're going to be hiring a marketing director uh, whose job is to get us eyeballs and get us attention and uh, do super creative stuff and whatnot on online socials and things like that. Um, also, we we are lucky enough to own a few um, multifamily properties in North Carolina, so we want to expand there as you do as well. So come on and be my neighbor. It's great. The water's fine come on in. Um, We also want to hire a asset manager in North Carolina uh, that can be regionally focused in the state that can, you know, go to the properties we have on a regular basis and um, make sure business plans being uh, being, uh, upheld in that. Um, We also, uh, there's, it's great to have acquisition and capital goals and marketing goals. 
But above all else, we want to take what we have performing and keep it performing and tighten up. Uh, and as the market changes and things like that, it becomes more important to make sure the boats you have are floating properly. And so we are installing KPI programs um, and performance metrics and things like that into what we own already, um, which is already thousands of units of multifamily. But we want to keep that running well. And it's important, whether you own thousands of units of multifamily or you own one property, it is very important to keep what you have running well. Too many times people focus on acquisitions goals, and and you and I just talked about that too. So we're we're just we're just uh, in the same boat. But you you should also talk about setting goals about performance of what you currently have. And so we're going to be uh, you know setting performance metrics and goals for our current portfolio just to keep it running healthy because that's really what matters the most is what you already own, not what you're going to buy, but what you own already. You know, you're, yeah, man, you, uh, that, that's my mantra. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so thanks for, I actually forgot to mention that. So that, that's what we're doing while things are slow. We are getting better at implementing EOS. We're becoming better asset managers. We're putting those systems in place. We're doing additional training for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, as you said, making sure that the boats you already have are, uh, in really, really good shape. Yeah. EOS traction quick plug you and I are both uh, raving fans of, of that book uh, and that and it's, it's important for any for small and large size businesses as well so um, and we'll throw one more thing out about goals by the way Andrew uh, if someone just happens to be listening to this episode and it's not January and it's like oh okay it's not New Year's so I don't have to set goals right <laughs> guess what there's actually not a rule there's not a law that says that you can only set goals on January 1st right um, you're actually allowed to set a goal anytime you can set a goal on December 31st December 1st or, or on your birthday whatever it is um, it anytime is a good time to make a, uh, a goal or to set a hurdle for yourself you know uh, you know go pick up Brandon Turner's 90-day intention journal and use tools like that to help you meet that goal over a 90-day over a 90-day program whenever you decide you want to plant that flag and make it. You don't have to say, oh, I can't set a goal today because it's not New Year's yet. You don't have to do that. I, th- I thought I thought once you hit February 2nd and it was Groundhog Day, you were doomed to just repeat that year and for the rest of the year and then you c- couldn't, couldn't set any new goals. Right. If you haven't taken real traction on your goals by February 2nd by Groundhog's Day, then you've got to be uh, you know, like Bill Murray and live that day over and over again. That's the rule. Right. So Andrew, listen, there are talking about mine and your goals. We need to help people achieve what they're looking to, to, to manifest for their goals as well. So lots of folks have pumped in tons of questions on multifamily on the awesome bigger pockets forum. Quick plug, by the way, quick tip, put questions in the bigger pockets forum. Cause you never know where those questions are going to go, uh, including right here on the bigger pockets podcast. So, uh, there are awesome questions here on the bigger pockets forums that I'd like to take a minute and go through with you. Are you down? Are you ready? Oh, I love answering questions. Let's do it. All right. Let's speed around some of these. Ready? Let's go. I'm going to pull a couple of questions. And if you haven't gone in there and posted questions yourself, please go do that. Uh, let's see. We're going to start with this one right here. Question is, how do I confidently assess property class from out of state? And how do I align my business strategy to the property class? Quick definition, when somebody is talking about property class, they're often referring to A, B, C, and D. A is kind of the nice new shiny stuff. B is kind of more your working class, uh, people who can either rent or buy but are choosing to rent. C tends to be someone who might uh, be a renter for life they can't afford to do anything but rent uh, they're you know they're employed they have good jobs but they're they're kind of in that workforce housing and then D is often kind of referred to as if you're going to be collecting rent in person you might want to pack heat to do that right so it tends to be kind of the higher crime much rougher much older uh, property so that's what they're asking about when they talk about class how do you assess that from out of state and how do you uh, align your business strategy with it. Well, the first thing is go read David Green's Long Distance Real Estate Investing. It is geared towards single family uh, business investment businesses. However, the same principles apply to multifamily uh, in terms of how to operate a long distance real estate business, you know, building teams, selecting markets, doing due diligence, uh, all of those kind of things. Now, when I am looking at a uh, new market or even even a sub market that I haven't owned in there's a long checklist of things that 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 I go through to do this very thing to figure out well what class property is it and what kind of what's the kind of class of the neighborhood so 
one of the main things that uh, that that I check is the median income, right? Higher median income is going to lend itself to more A and B class properties. Lower median income is going to be more C or possibly D. And you know, you might ask, well, Andrew, what's the cutoff? That's going to vary depending on what your state, what state you're in. Some parts of California, $120,000 a year is poverty level. In Georgia. That's an A-class neighborhood. So you do you need to kind of look at all the areas around your property, get a sense of what the spectrum is. And if you're on the high end of the spectrum, you're probably A, B. If you're on the low end of the spectrum, you're probably C, C and D. Also look at year of construction. If it's built in 2000 or newer, it's probably uh, B or A. If it's built 1980 to 2000, that's probably solid B. If it's 1960, to 1980, you're probably looking at a C-class property. And if it's older than that, could be C or D, depending on the neighborhood. Look at relative rent levels. Uh, we talked about earlier, you know, if you're looking at a suburb of Atlanta, for example, and the median income ranges from 40000 to 75000 you're going to see a similar pattern with rent. If you look at all of the apartments in that market, you'll see, well, some two bedrooms are renting for 800 and other two bedrooms are renting for 1600 or 1800 well odds are the ones at the bottom of that spectrum that are renting for 800 that's probably your class c property and then if you look the property up and it's oh it's built in 1975 oh okay that's another data point probably a c class property then you're going to look at the amenities if it doesn't have a pool if it doesn't have a playground if it doesn't have a dog park that's probably C or B because most A-class properties are going to have fitness centers and grilling stations and pools and are going to be highly amenitized. So the more amenities, the more likely it's class A. The less amenities, you're getting down the spectrum B, C, possibly D. I would also evaluate the neighbors, right? So if you look at your property and then you jump into uh, Google Street View and you do your little Google, you know, take the yellow man and drive around and you see you know, brand new retail or a nice new Sprouts or Whole Foods or Kroger, you might, you're probably in a B or an A neighborhood. If you see old kind of rundown, you know, strip mall centers with a cigar shop and a tattoo parlor and, eye, parlor and eyebrow threading and all this fun stuff, that's probably class C. So again, that's another data point. And that's, that's, you know, there's not, when you're trying to figure out, is this class A, is this class B, is this class C? One of the frustrating things about it, especially as a new investor, is you can't turn to page 365 of a book and figure out, oh, here's what it is, right? It's a spectrum. It's a little bit vague. And so what I'm trying to do is give you the data points that we use to figure that out. And then finally, talk to other property managers and lenders and other people who know that market, and they can give you a tremendous amount of insight. Uh, the best thing, of course, is to hop on a plane or get in the car and go drive that market yourself. You know, it's amazing what you can gain uh, with the internet and in long distance these days. It is so different than it was 10 years ago, but nothing beats being there in person. So if you're going to invest in a market, make sure you at least get out there once so you have a real good feel of it. So that's kind of the short version of what I, of what I would do. Uh, Matt, you got anything else that you would add on top of that? Andrew, every time that you answer a question before me, I find myself saying, I agree with Andrew because everything you said was so thorough, right? Um, I, I really agree. I mean, honestly, and, and I love the, and I'm like, do I have a cigar shop or a tattoo pro near, near any of my properties? I may. Um, but uh, I, I, what I'll say that's on top of all that is that you need to, uh, you, the listener, need to decide which angle of attack you want to get yourself into. There is more money to be made ever uh, in, in, but you gotta have the thick, the thick skin to do it is to buy an underperforming, really, really poorly run D class property where Andrew said you might have to wear a sidearm to go collect rent and turn that into a C or a B class property. Not everyone has the skin for that. Not everyone wants to take the risk, enormous, enormous 10 pounds of risk that it would take to take down a property like that. So if you do not have the chops and the business plan and the team to do a D to a B or a D to a C uh, conversion, then that's not the right, that's not the right business plan for you. 
uh, everything Andrew said is correct in identifying uh, property classes and determining neighborhoods. But you as the investor then need to figure out which business plan works for you. Do you want to set it and forget it? Maybe make a lot less cash flow. That could be class A or class B uh, for you. Um, maybe there's small little tweaks in the business plan you can do over the years to make the property make more and more money and hold it for a really long period of time. So maybe higher class properties uh, are the right fit for you. Um, it really just has to do with what risk factors you're willing to take on and the team that you can bring to the table. Philip Hernandez, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I am super stoked to be here. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. You're part of the you are part of the inaugural group of the Bigger Pockets mentee program. Yes, and sir. Uh, you're here with a, a few questions that uh, hopefully we can help out with today. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no, super stoked. And yeah, thank you guys so much for your time. So as I've been reaching out to brokers and developing relationships with different brokers in markets that I, I have a good sense of, uh, you know, how things should look. I have had a couple times those same brokers send me deals in smaller cities, in MSAs that I like tertiary markets with less than 50,000 people. And I, I don't have any presence there. I don't have any connections. I don't really know anybody there. But when I run the numbers, it works. The deal works. But I'm also like, okay, I have no idea what I don't know. So what would a deal have to look like for you to invest in a tertiary market where you don't necessarily have a presence? Uh, and how would you mitigate the, the risk of, of taking a, an opportunity like that? And yeah, let's assume like everything looks good about it. People are moving there. There's a diverse jobs. The property's in decent condition. What? Yeah. First off, tell me about this market because I want to know where it is. Um, so, you know, we, we could do a whole podcast on this. So I'll, I'll try to just hit bullet point real level, uh, real high level. Uh, number one, uh, I have passed on many opportunities like that because of the challenges of small markets. Um, so keep that in mind. One uh, good asset in property management is where the money is really made. And that is one of the biggest challenges that you have in those small markets. And that's so the challenge. These, some of these challenges are why those properties look so good on paper, right? Because the prices are lower because of the challenges that are inherent with, with those types of properties in those markets. Um, so not only are you going to have trouble, more trouble getting good management, you're also going to have trouble getting contractors and vendors and, you know, staff and all of those kind of things. But your question wasn't, wasn't, you know, Hey, Andrew, what are the problems I'm going to have? It was, how do I fix that? Right? So like number one, like I said, in many cases, I just pass when, you know, even if it looks great on paper, because sometimes the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. Second of all, if I am considering doing it, I might say, well, who can I partner with that solves these problems? Is there somebody else I can partner with that already has a presence in this market, that knows the market, can just move this property into their current portfolio and manage it better than anybody else there out there? If you can do that, that can turn a weakness into a tactical advantage. Um, I have seen people do that very thing, go into markets that are fragmented, and that they don't have a presence in, find someone who is just local and knows that market inside and out, partner with them, and all of a sudden they've got an advantage that just no one else has. Uh, and then another question that I would ask is, how is the how is the current owner managing it? And if they're doing it well, try to copy what they're doing. If they're not doing it well, go look at all the other properties in town, find the, find the ones that are the most well run, and either try to uh, hire those people that you know, maybe it's the same management company or or contact the owners and say, hey, can I partner with you? Maybe there's an opportunity there. So find some, you know, that would probably be the, the biggest thing I'd recommend is find some local connection, partner or advantage to help mitigate those risks. And then that return might actually have a higher chance of actually coming true. So, so yet, yet again, everything that Andrew said, I agree with, uh, but, and, and to expand on that, the, when, when, when my company DeRosa invests in a market, 
Um, and this is why I wouldn't do the deal you're talking about, Philip. So the short answer is no, wouldn't do that deal. Um, because we invest in markets first. And that's for everything that you said, labor, you know, access to everything from the contractor that's going to turn units over and upgrade them for me to the workforce that's going to uh, live in the property, you know, access to jobs, those kinds of things, uh, to the property manager themselves. You know, you don't want them commuting an hour to your property from where they personally live to your property. You want them to live in a reasonable size metro that there's, you know, middle-income housing for them to live in that they can come to your property to work to work for, uh, you know for your property as well right so for those reasons I wouldn't do the deal and above all else when we invest in markets it's market first and the reason for that is is so that I can buy not one not two three properties three multifamilies in a market that we can expand I mean our goal is to get to at least a thousand units in every market and it doesn't have to be your goal, but you should never look at a deal and say, I want to do that one deal in this market. If you can't see yourself doing at least another 10 deals in that market, if there's just not the inventory to do 10 more deals, or if you don't, if you're not sure if you believe in the market that much to do to, to invest 10 more times in the market, I wouldn't do the deal. And what investing 10 times in that market does for you is it accesses everything that Andrew talked about. You get the best access to labor. You can really sway the market that way. You can control, you can really control the market a bit and direct what rents and amenities should look like, what really awesome housing should look like in that market if you're a mar if you're a large owner. If you're not willing to do that, then you're going to be on the peripheral and you're never going to be able to really control it or negotiate great labor contracts with folks to do the work for you um, or to really access full exposure to what that market can yield for you if you're only willing to you know, go in a little bit. So to everything you said does not get me excited about the deal that you have. Uh, it's just, hey, this deal looks good on paper. It's a market I know nothing about. That's just what I heard. It's a, this deal looks good on paper. It's a market I know nothing about. I don't know anybody there. Uh, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. I'm saying that. You didn't say that. But if, but if it's close to a big market, then maybe look at the big market and look at this tertiary as kind of part of a bigger picture you want to paint for yourself. You know, um, So that's my short answer. Cold water on your face, on, on you is no, I probably would not do that deal. No, that's all good. I uh, any shiny objects that I can take off of my radar will, I think, help my my journey in the long run. Feels like a shiny object to me. And and I'd like to re quickly reiterate two things. Number one, like I said in the beginning, most of those I pass on. And then number two, I really like what Matt said. For everybody listening, if you're gonna do that, the risk. If it's a one-off deal probably pass. But if you can do five, six, seven, ten, and grow it, you can turn that into an advantage. So, uh, Philip, we appreciate you coming on uh, real quick. And then, you know, also just asking questions in front of a quarter million people audience uh, takes some touch buzz. So we appreciate that. Other than uh, storming your classroom, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, so on Instagram, uh, it's the underscore educated underscore investor. And then I have a website uh, www.educatedinvest.com thanks for that shout out andrew appreciate that i like it good stuff man well you're gonna you're gonna do well i think we'll be hearing a lot more from you here in the near future awesome thank you andrew we got another another question lined up here i want to bring in uh, i got danny uh danny zapata danny welcome to the bigger pockets podcast man how are you today I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me on. You are you are quite welcome. Uh, what what is on your mind? How can Andrew and I uh, brighten your day a bit? What what is your real estate question you want to bring for for Andrew and I to answer and for the masses to hear our thoughts on? Yeah, I had um, I had a thought around uh, raising money. So I've had some success raising some friends and family private money. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what are the pros and cons. You know. I, I guess I can going to the next steps. I either go and I kind of tap out all of my friends and family, or do I go and kind of broaden into you know more less familiar folks? So I wanted to get your thoughts around and how do you expand that? <laughs> Danny's passing a hat around at Thanksgiving dinner, right? You know, yeah. okay, pass the turkey and then also pass your checkbook. Go, right? uh, go partner, um, yeah, Philip. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, Danny, I, I, most investors, I, I know I did, and, and I know, uh, I, I believe Andrew, you'd be able to say the same, uh, started with friends and family as their investors. And the reason why you do that is because people that are friends and family like and trust you because you're you. You're Danny and you're awesome and they know that. Not because you're Danny the awesome real estate investor, but because 
you're their son and they love you and because you're their brother or they trust you because you're you, not because you've developed this phenomenal real estate track record, whether you have or not, right? So most real estate investors should and and do start with friends and family as their investor base. And I highly recommend, and if it gives you the heebie-jeebies talking to friends and family, I'm talking to listeners, not you, Danny, but if it gives folks the heebie-jeebies talking to their family members, uh, in, in my book, Raising Private Capital, I talk a bit about how to overcome personal objections you may have internally and objections that friends and family may have with you as well. Bottom line, treat them like investors, whether they're your friends and family or not. Don't give them special treatment or, oh, it's okay, we don't need to put this in writing. I'll just take your check. No, give them every rights and benefit, including uh, full documentation that you would anybody else. Um, everyone needs to expand beyond friends and family. If you're going to grow, Danny, you need to go beyond that. The way that I did it was to go to friends and family and then start asking them for referrals. Like, hey, who else do you know, Uncle Charlie? Who else do you know, person I went to high school with, um, who uh, that, that may want to invest with me or may want to consider doing you know what I do as, as a passive investment vehicle? That's how I grew. And then once you've done that, then you can expand to tier three, which is, you know, social media, picking up the big megaphone, talking into it about what you're up to and attracting more and more folks. But I, it sounds like, Danny, what you're, you've, you've achieved a certain level of success with friends and family capital. Awesome. I would, I would go next level and start asking those folks that are happy for referrals to other folks that wanted that they think may be happy too working with you. Well, that was, that was, that was fantastic. I can't really add a whole lot to that. Matt, you should like write a book about money raising or something. Um, and, and Danny, when he does, you should go order it and read it. Uh, you know, maybe maybe another tip is, is raise money from pessimists because they don't expect it back. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you know, I did the same thing. My my first check as a syndicator was from my mom, right? And and so I got to shout out to mom for 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 you know believing in, in in her son, and and like Matt Matt laid it out beautifully. You do that first. Maybe maybe skip the uncle that if it you know he's gonna bug the heck out of you at Thanksgiving um, or or make life miserable if it doesn't go perfectly. But other than that, friends and family are the place to start. And then yeah, ask for referrals. And then even beyond referrals. It is it's it, it's really tough for LP investors to to jump in to be the first guy to jump into the pool with you. But if you've already got eight or ten people at your party, then you don't have to go tell everybody else that it's your family. You can just say, "Hey, I've already got these eight investors. We're seventy percent of the way there. It's much going to be much easier to get people you don't know or that don't know you as well to come in for that last thirty percent." So exactly what Matt said: start with friends and family, then go to referrals, then use that as a as a base to reach out to people that you don't already have that relationship with. I guess I shouldn't uh, also tout that my mom is my biggest investor, right? Hey, you know what? It's a great thing. That's a good thing. Uh, you you shouldn't you you shouldn't discount that, man. I go telling people all the time. And by the way, my mama is one, was one of my first investors as well. By the way, and I tell people that because it is a testament to your belief in your business, Danny. All joking aside, my mother's invested in my business. You should tell people that. Like I got my mama's money. You know, not just not just somebody else's mama's money. I got my own mother's money is in my business, and that's how much I believe in what I do. That I'm willing to put my mother's livelihood, my mother's future well-being, her wealth goals into what I do. I tell people that all the time because it's something that, I, you know, not to like get emotional about it, but I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I can take a bit of ownership of my mother's financial future through what I do. Matt, that that's beautiful. I tell our investors this. I tell them, I say, look, I can't screw this up because I would have to get a new family and new friends because they're all in this and I'd have yeah. to go out like, yeah, I can't afford to do that. Yeah. I'm control alt deleting at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> Danny, your thoughts, man. I, I hope this has been uh, of value. Any any final thoughts before we let you go? I know that was awesome. Thank you for your, for your insights there, and uh, I'm glad I was able to make you a little emotional during the podcast. Danny, been awesome having you here, man. Listen, you've delivered a lot of value today in your questions and your thoughts. Please tell those listening how they can get a hold of you. They'd like to hear more about what you're up to. Sure. Uh, I think the easiest way to get a hold of me is um, bigger pockets. So. Uh, Daniel Zapata is my legal name, uh, Bigger Pockets. Um, also, I have a, somewhat of a Twitter presence, uh, D Zapata, my first initial and last name on Twitter. And that's Z A P A T A. I will not ask what your illegal name is. That's your legal name only. So uh, if you guys want to reach out to Danny and find out what his illegal name is, you can do that now. Cool. Good, good being with us today, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care, man.
All right, Andrew, if people are living under a rock and they have no idea how to get a hold of the Andrew Cushman, how would they reach out to you to find out more about you as a person, a real estate investor, a visitor of Antarctica, all those kinds of things? How would they find out more about that? Uh, best way, connect with me on Bigger Pockets. Uh, you can also connect on LinkedIn or just uh, Google Vantage Point Acquisitions. Our website is vpacq.com and there's a contact us form on there that comes to my inbox. And folks can find me on our website for my company, DeRosa Group. That is D-E-R-O-S-A Group, DeRosaGroup.com. They can get a hold of me and anybody of my, on my team there to hear all kinds of cool stuff about what I'm up to at DeRosaGroup.com or follow me on Instagram at the Matt Faircloth. All right. All right, folks. This is, uh, this is Matt Faircloth here with my host, Antarctica Andrew, and ask him more what that means, signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.